Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 634, with Chef Justin Yu. I think humility is an, an, an ability to uh, be empathetic to people, with people, even if you don't, even if you don't agree with them, right? And I think humility to it's 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 an understanding, um, and and the fact that you know you're not always right. I think it's it's definitely kind of like a point of view where it's like if if you have humility, you're you're able to connect with people just a little bit more. Are you ready for it? Factors. Success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable, and when you run your first First payroll, you'll get your first three months free. Again, that's gusto.com slash unstoppable. When your employees are empowered to speak up internally, you can stay one step ahead of costly issues that can tarnish your brand before they become larger public problems. Ethics Suite is the first employee incident reporting platform developed to be fully customizable for every industry, including the restaurant industry. Unethical workplace behavior is a threat. It's time to protect your business with an incident reporting system. Find out why Ethics Suite is the leading anonymous reporting system for the restaurant industry at ethicsuite.com com slash restaurant unstoppable it doesn't get easier than cake cake is the point of sale built for restaurants that's easy to set up and use with cloud-based access from any device 24 7 customer support and a lifetime access to cake university how could you not love cake to learn more about cake point of sale head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable and because you're a restaurant unstoppable listener you will save 750 dollars off activation again that's trycake.com slash unstoppable Unstoppable. All right. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Justin. You, my man, Chef Justin, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling exceptionally unstoppable today. <laughs> yes, that is what we like to hear. So let me give the listeners an idea of who we're talking to. Houstonian Justin Yu is a graduate of Houston University and the Culinary Institute of America, Hyde Park. You returned to Houston upon graduation before heading to the West Coast in Europe to stage and further refine his skills. Yu's first restaurant, Oxheart, opened in 2012 and was named one of America's top 10 best new restaurants by Bon Appetit. It was this work at Oxheart that earned you the 2016 James Beard Award for Best Chef Southwest. And in 2016, right after getting this award, you closed Oxheart, which I find really interesting, to make way for Theodore Rex, which achieved similar acclaim. Today, Justin Yu is the chef owner partner. One of those titles at either Theodore Rex restaurant, Better Luck Tomorrow, Public Service Wine and Whiskey, and Squabble. Man, I cannot wait to dive into your story, but let's get this motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Man, just keep your head down, uh, keep your eyes up, and always be humble. Head down, eyes up, always be humble. Dissect that. 
Um, you know, it's actually something that my aunts, uh, who got me into the restaurant industry, told me my first day uh, that I went uh, on the job. Uh, the first thing they said was to just don't talk too much. Uh, don't be full, so full of yourself. You know you want to be a chef. Uh, there is uh, a lot of goals for you to achieve. Um, so the best way to go about it is to not be too loud about it. The best way to go about it is to always just be the hardest worker in the world. Yeah, man, I love it. Great way to get this thing started. And I should have mentioned before uh, having you share the success quote that we are at the 2019 TRA Marketplace trade show. Um, just want to give a quick nod to those folks who are giving us this opportunity to sit here and to use the space to be in front of people like you. So nod to them. Thank you, guys. And where does it make sense to uh, share your story? Where, where do we go? Where does the story start for you? Well, I mean... Uh, honestly, there is uh, no other business I'd rather be in. So it all, all starts at the very beginning. Uh, even when I was in pre-K, when they were doing all the uh, writing down of like what you want to be in the future, it's always been a chef. Um, and the reason for that is I, I have an extended family, two aunts that own uh, a restaurant or did own a restaurant in Southern California, West Covina, called House of Louis. And for me, that was just kind of the epicenter of all the happiness in the world. We would visit. I'm originally from Houston, but we would visit California uh, every single summer, and uh, all the cousins would come and uh, meet at uh, House of Louis, and we'd have lunch, and then we'd break, and then we'd go play laser tag or go to you know Raging Waters, and then come back for dinner. And it was always one of those things. Was like it, the restaurant was always the happiest place for me. Um, so it was uh, there's really no other thing I'd, I'd wanted to do. I remember actually, it's like a very very slight memory of mine um uh, it was dim sum time and i was probably five or six and i remember wandering into the kitchen and i got in trouble for it later but wandering <laughs> into the kitchen and seeing the chef like make this big fire in the walk and i think i was just so taken with it uh that there was literally no other thing that i would ever wanted to do in my entire life so when did you start living intentionally to to make this this uh passion of yours this dream of yours to you know, start coming to reality. Honestly, it's it's the you know if you ask my family, I've always wanted to cook. Um, I've always wanted to help cook for Thanksgiving. Um, didn't cook dinner all the time, but I was always uh, watching the Food Network when the Food Network was on. Iron Chef was like my favorite show over and over again. Man, I taped it on VHS. It kind of tells you how old I am. Uh, VHS and like I have videos of old VHS of uh, taping it from uh, Food Network. Um, and then uh, in high school, there there was some classes that uh, you know you could take to for culinary arts, and and definitely took those. Um, and there was no other, you know, my parents told me I had to apply to some other schools just for some well-roundedness. So I, I was actually going to ask you about that <laughs> because um, I've had a few uh, guests on the show of Asian descent, Asian yeah. American culture, and I know. Um, uh, a lot of Asian parents want their kids to become doctors or lawyers right. or uh, they really push, you know, to, to the kids in that direction. Did you get any, any resistance when you shared what you wanted oh, to do? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, especially for my aunts because they kind of kind of started the restaurants. They owned multiple to start in kind of an era where it was really obvious, you know, there was a lot of substance abuse. There was a, a lot of, like, machismo in the kitchen. Um, it was long hours, low pay, and they really they did that so that... I wouldn't have to do it. And I think I had to really convince them when I was in high school that it was something that I really wanted to do. And the way that they did that was like, my dad was like, oh, well, I'll show you. <laughs> I'm going to get you a job 
uh, at one of my friend's restaurants. Uh, we'll and fix I'm, this. Yeah. <laughs> and, <that> uh, <laughs> and actually, the restaurant's still open. It's on Kirby. It's a restaurant called Azuma. Um, it was the original Azuma. They probably have five or six uh, locations now. Um, and I, I, I remember the owner telling my dad, like, you have to tell him to sit down. Like, he won't sit down. He won't eat. I'm kind of, like, worried for him. And I think that really showed them that I really, wow. really wanted it. That's awesome. So what was that was your first experience in a restaurant working what was that first experience like was it what you expected it to be was it more than you expected it to be was it better i mean it was something that i desired so much that it it kind of was a blur to me so you know i expected to be you know after you know watch all the gordon ramsay films and they expected to be yelled at expected to have to do like all the dirty stuff um it was exciting for me because i was like i i've always taken taken that thing where it's like again like my first day is like they tell you to put your head down and just shut up and just like do the best job you possibly can and and to me that's always been a mantra where it's like if if you try to do the right thing and you you try to you know do it the right way then there's there's success at the end of the time i love it so uh maybe we go to the culinary institute of america room is it is it should we skip over your experience at Houston University, or is there any key lessons there, key mentors, professionals there? What was your major there again? I was I went to the Conrad Hilton Hotel and Restaurant That's Management right. School. It so is it is one of the, the yeah, best. So maybe we yeah. should hover hover here for a little bit. Yeah. Any key mentors? Any key lessons? Anything pers- you know? Pivotal mo- moments. In your I life? think it, I I saw. I mean, so I went to the Culinary Institute first. Oh, okay. Which is different because a lot of people go to um, a lot of people will go to a four year college first. Uh, do their undergrad and then maybe go to culinary school. I I knew I wanted to go to culinary school first, um, and it, I, I'd actually originally signed up for the bachelor's program over at uh, CIA, and it, I just realized as I was taking that route that that point uh, that program wasn't for me at the time, uh, and I wanted to really really delve into something where uh, it would really allow me to be a business owner in the future as opposed to just a chef. Smart. Um, what and, was making you think like that at the age of like 18, 19, 20? Um, I've always, there's there's really nothing else I've ever wanted to do. Uh, and I had a, kind of like a, a timeline for myself, just like everybody has timelines for themselves. And, and I always knew I wanted to be uh, uh, my my own business owner. Uh, wanted, I knew I always wanted to be my boss. That was always the goal. It was never never ambiguous. Um, so I had very much a one track mind, which I would say it's very lucky for myself because a lot of people kind of flounder around. Yeah, I want to pull back some layers here because yeah. I, I feel like the, the the majority of the people that are listening are likely on that same track. Like, there's nothing wrong with being a chef and and having that be your jam. And but. If you don't want to own restaurants, that's fine. I don't blame you. But for the people that do want to become an owner someday, what things did you do intentionally during the the early years that you think you would have not done if you didn't have that kind of foresight that you did? The things that make you the the least comfortable, I I always delved into delved into first. So things like learning how to do payroll, things like learning how how it is to open up your own LLC. I mean, you can ask so many people like you know, like their first restaurant, they're thirty some odd years old. I don't even know where to start, you know, like, so for me, um, learning what it is to create a business first and what it is to, uh, even get, you know, the concrete foundation of, of, of how to start a business, you know, like what, you know, permits you might need to even just, you know, uh, to, to be in business, uh, get those hard things out of the way when, when you're a little younger so that, 
uh, you can really concentrate on the cooking and developing your style because that'll change over yeah. the years. And that's such a great sign of intelligence. It really is. And it's one of the things that makes humans u- uniquely us is that that foresight. Like I can suffer now, you know, go through all this boring shit yeah. and like <laughs> this, the pain of having to learn all this stuff that's just not exciting to but you know, deal with that now. Right. So later on down the road, I don't have to you know learn the hard way, right? And uh, it's just so powerful just to, to get those things out of the way early in your career. Learn as much as you can. Um, so, what about mentors? Any key mentors during your education? Anybody who really impacted who you are today? Um, mentors during the educational process. Uh, there is a, a, a chef. He was probably the oldest uh, standing chef at CIA. His name was uh, Jim Haywood. I think that uh, name's come up a few times yeah, in the show. Yeah, as a and, but, you know, it, he'd, he'd been at the CIA for years and years and years, and it was just really exciting to see someone that had been cooking for that long uh, be still excited about mm. the food. What, what, what can we learn from that? I think that there's just a level of, like, you know, there's so many uh, things that you can do with a culinary degree these days. If you lose, lose the base passion for cooking or the people, I think, you know, for me, the cooking is in the people, right? So, like, I enjoy the, the craft of cooking, but the outcome in, in which uh, that, that shows up with making people happy or teaching someone something or trying to make uh, an employee's life better or trying to make, an, in, in, in Chef's case, uh, make the student's life better, uh, it's, uh, to me, it's all about the people. So I know you can't get in his head. You know exactly what he was thinking. Um, but what do you think it was that made him retain and hang on to this passion, this love? Was it his attention to the relationships and the people? Do you think that is that what it was? You know, I mean, I think he he was he was honestly pretty picky about. There was a lot of different types of kids there. He was honestly a little picky about like the people who he really associated with um, because you know there was people that didn't that kind of wanted to waste his time. So I think he. Uh, was really particular about like making sure that the people that really really wanted to be there uh, got their money's worth not even money's worth got their time's worth um, and and I think it's it was important for him to form that relationship uh, more than anything and that's a huge lesson right there uh, I think some some kids go to school too early and then they get distracted by all the fun and all the crazy things and, and i I'm always surprised at how it's always the the older folks that, or people that go to a culinary school like 24, 25, mm-hmm. and they're there. You know, they, they're present and they take advantage of those relationships. These chefs, what I'm trying to say is, these chefs, these instructors will go to bat for you if they see that you have that drive, that passion. They're connected. They will get you to, into any restaurant across the nation. Yeah. And you got to take. I mean, you're going to learn a lot, uh, like the basics at these culinary schools. But the real to get your money's worth is through the networking and the the way you get those people to back you is by busting your ass and showing them that you were there for business, right. I mean, right? it's not even like you don't go and don't have fun. Fun is part of it. I, I went right out of high school, and people would probably say I wasn't that fun, but I had a, I had a great time. Um, you know, but you know, learn learn it's about rare. yourself. Yeah, not, not many people have that that drive. Yeah, so learn, young. Yeah, learn more about yourself in in the entire process. So awesome. that's really that's a really important process. So. Green Zebra, right? Yeah, that was your externship that's right out of college. Uh, any any. You know, experiences there. Any? Oh man, Green Zebra <laughs> and Spring were uh, very uh, informative about the type of cooking that I wanted to do. Green Zebra was the first, probably higher end vegetarian restaurant. It, it actually just closed after I think almost fifteen years, twelve, fifteen years in Chicago. It was in an area that uh, was not developed when it first opened, and, and it's closed now. And it's in a really fantastic area. Um, it, it taught me that you could focus on something that did not have 
proteins in it or not at least meat proteins. It, it, it could be um, interesting and, and fun and all the flavors would be um, very much like more bombastic because you didn't have a, a piece of protein while delicious kind of like anchoring the, the rest of the dish. So um, I find a lot of food that's what's why I cook very, very vegetable forward. I, I'd, I'd say the both the menus that I would say I'm, I'm mostly in charge of, which is over at Theodore Rex and Better Luck Tomorrow, at very vegetable forward. And it's just more fun. The, the, the flavors vary from season to season, honestly, week to week. Um, you know, it's, it's fun to kind of, it's, it's almost like baking where you have to have a little bit of touch to do it. Um, and obviously bakers have much more touch. But I love to mention, too, we're learning so much about our natural diet and what we're supposed to be eating. And, right. like, American diets, especially in Texas, so, so protein-heavy, it's just not natural. And, and yeah, I mean, it's like it's, you couldn't – it was fun to see that vegetables could take the main stage and you wouldn't be bored with Yeah, it. awesome. So what about um, your time at Green Zebra? Any, any uh, mentors, any key lessons? This is your first time really at a high-scale arrest. Or actually, yeah. you, is, is it? I don't want to assume – yeah, this so, is my first, you know, I, I, I'd been at the sushi restaurant and I was at, worked at Papado's, which was like a really, really, like in high school, which was a really fantastic learning experience. It's a huge corporation uh, down here in Houston, but it's all family owned. Um, you know, I learned a lot of, from Papado's. I learned a lot of like just, you know, batching and production and like consistency and people have been in that company for 20, 20 30 years. Um, but at Green Zebra, I think I... I I finally it, it finally connected the dots, right? So I'd always mostly been only interested in kind of higher end cooking. Um, you know, I remember seeing like a fennel uh, ice cream. And I was like, fennel ice cream. And I was like, that's crazy. And I was like, and to me now it's like so a lot of people now, especially with all the cookbooks, they're like, yeah, I mean, like that's pretty. That's a pretty. That's a gimme, right? Yeah. Um, what did you What did you mean by connecting the dots? Though? I'm I'm sure if I understand where you're going. With that. Yeah, I mean, I think that what what it took to cook at a higher level, what it took to cook food that honestly um, took a lot of time to do was very uh, time and prep intensive, um, but like made it worth it at the end. So, of what it. does it take? Um, it takes a lot of attention to detail. Anything from accepting the right product to storing it the right way to preparing it the right way with the right tools um, to, you know, putting it in, in its holding pattern before it's being cooked. So what do these restaurants do to maintain this attention to detail, this standard? How do they, how do they make it consistently that high all the time? What uh, did you learn in that regard? Maybe you learned yeah, further I mean, down the line someplace else. There's, there's other places. I've, I've had it kind of both ways at Green Zebra. It was more of a teamwork effort sort of thing uh, where everybody held uh, each other accountable. I've also been in a restaurant where, you know, the attention to detail happened because I was very fearful for being yelled at. Uh, if, if the <laughs> Which restaurant was that? That was, that was at Ubuntu. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. So um, we can get into that. That was your, uh, your West Coast experience with yeah, Jeremy Fox, correct? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but at, at Green Zebra, it was, it was definitely a, a team effort. And it was, it was a, a little bit of a snarky environment, which I still kind of enjoy having, where uh, everybody just makes sure that everybody else is... is is doing the right thing, as we were saying. Um, but then that's actually where I met uh, Christopher Bates. Uh, okay. So it, he's, he's a master somebody. He's like a 2015 yeah. guest, and it was Christopher Bates that first put you on my radar, and here we are today. I'm glad to have you. Um, so you mentioned real quickly uh, that maybe there's a little bit of a culture difference between Green Zebra and your time over um, on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, we're kind of skipping over some some stuff. Is it is yeah. it okay? I mean, you know, I came back and cooked in Houston for quite a bit, 
I'd say that's uh, that's where I met um, my honestly general mentor. His name is Ryan Para. He owns a, a, a few restaurants here in Houston now. What did Ryan teach you? Uh, Ryan taught me like a very calm way of cooking. He is honestly, you know, he loves uh, Italian cuisine. He taught me the love for the kind of the handmade to take your time. Um, but more so than anything, like, he had, like, a really quiet intensity about him. He he always, he's like, he, he always said this thing, like, you know, where, where do you think you are? If he was up, if, if he upset, if he, if he was upset at you, he'd say, where do you think you are? And not in a mean way, not loud. It just made you think, like, I'm, I'm in his kitchen. I'm in the kitchen that we're, we're expected to have a high standard, high, high amount of quality coming out of the kitchen. When would he ask you this? In that moment? In the moment, in okay. the moment, you know, where, you know, you're, you're cooking something and, and it's obvious to both you and him that you're not doing your best or you're not doing the right thing. So. But that's just such a, a great way. I and mean, we can sit there and we can, you know, tell somebody like, oh, do it like this is. But when you take that time to, to give the person the opportunity to self-correct, you teach them how to think for themselves. Yeah, I mean, right? and, and Ryan, honestly, I, I always tell everybody that Ryan's the guy who taught me how to cook. And um, I always loved the, the cooking aspect, aspect of it, but I wasn't really any good at it, I don't think. Until uh, until Ryan came around, and really kind of um, that kitchen uh, with with the people that were there, it was obvious that they had a long a lot of respect for him. Um, a lot of people were very technique driven there, and that's kind of like where I my love for the just like very basic techniques uh, really flourished. You gave us some some clues as to why people respected him so much, but what else was it about him, his character that was? that made it possible for him to garner this type of respect. Yeah, I mean, when you think about chefs, a lot of times what you'll you'll think about is the guy standing on the line uh, calling out orders. Ryan's favorite thing to do uh, is is to prep and and to prep from the back end from the very most basic things. Uh, you know, if, if he didn't have to work the line ever uh, and he could just prep and make sure, like, all the very... The very basic techniques were well taken care of. All the storage aspects were well taken care of, and all the flavoring and technique was well taken care of. Like that's what he would do because most most line most line cooking is just a big reheating station, you know. So it's uh, it, the the hard part. It's weird because the hard part happens in the morning, and uh, it's 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 interesting to see where everybody's like, oh, I want to be like a PM line cook because like the the cooks you know on the pm lines are that we're, they're the rock stars but for me <laughs> what i learned from ryan was like it's not it's not what happens in, at night it's what happens in the one of my favorite things to do is to stand around a massive dough ball and just make little just to like you know roll dough it's like one of my favorite things yeah. to do to standing around you just it's muscle memory you're talking to people and i don't know it's something about prep that i i'm right there with yeah, you absolutely. um okay so we got to talk about ubuntu a little bit uh jeremy fox you said the culture there was maybe a little bit different uh is it was he more of like a con- command control type of leader uh well i I, wanna... I got there at an interesting time um paint that picture yeah i i I was. I went to uh, Napa Valley. Uh, my wife at the time had gotten an internship at uh, Ranch Laundry, and so and I had been cooking for quite a bit longer for, than her, so I'd, I'd have a good amount of experience. And I was looking for a kitchen that really, really kind of pushed the ideas of what I wanted to cook. And and I was offered a couple other jobs, but Ubuntu was one of those places. Like you went there for a day. It was obvious that all the cooks were really, really into it. They they walked in with a sense of purpose. It was a really tiring kitchen to be in. Um, there is a station where all you would do is make one dish all day, and it had and you had to like wash 
produce perfectly, put it away perfectly, pick flowers perfectly, wow. um, you know, and then roll out a ball of dough perfectly because if you didn't roll it out perfectly, the, the ball of dough wouldn't puff when it went into the pizza oven and then you had to separate it to dry it. So all those little tiny processes I learned at Ubuntu. And it was it's, it's just that, you know, with Jeremy, Jeremy at the time, he was going through a lot. Honestly, everybody does. I've, I've gone through the same yeah. exact thing. Um, and there was a lot of pressure on him. And I think and at, at the time, Ubuntu was the first time I, I showed up. And um, three weeks later, we got a Michelin star. I had nothing to do with it, right? <laughs> it happened before. Um, but I remember him kind of like summoning me and like, like making sure that I knew that I was a part of the team as well. And, you know, that was very, very welcoming to me, especially for a guy that was very, very deeper into that. Take it because I think there's some some value in that, in the the recognition. Right. And letting people know that you're a part of the team, even though you weren't maybe there from the beginning. So take us through that conversation and tell us really about how he made you feel. I mean, he himself is like it was very obvious that he was a chef. Right. Uh, He he came in and he he worked on food himself. Um, He held everybody to a really high standard. And honestly, he was like, he, if if you weren't meeting his standard, you know, he would let you know. Yeah, he would definitely, How did he definitely. Let let you, I mean, he he was he was. Uh, he wouldn't ask where are you right now. No, <laughs> he would he would be right next to my face. Uh, let me know what, no no letting me know exactly what I was doing. And to be fair, I wasn't doing the right things a lot of times. But, I, you know, at the same time, in, in that type of environment with extreme attention to detail, with extreme standards, because he's going for stars, right? Yeah. You have to either be on the bus or get the fuck off the yeah, bus. Right? He wanted because to be. He you wanted to be the best. Yeah, like I mean, there's certain places where you go and that you get molded, right? right? And there's other places where you've been molded and you're there for like the most excellent right. thing possible. And there's different types of restaurants. Yeah, I mean, he wanted. The weirdest, the like the weirdest vegetables with the most extreme presentations, and then in the on the flip side, he also wanted like like he wanted like okay, I want it to be the most simple possible, but everything has to be perfect. So in the way, it's like I remember like taking twenty to thirty minutes out of my day just to after cleaning all the raw radishes, just lining them up like little soldiers. Like yes, it was like on a, a double piece of paper with. You know, uh, that sprayed several times on the bottom. And it's like there's a lot of processes that go into it. That, that it honestly, do I think it made the food taste better? Not the actual product itself, but the way that you thought about the way that things should be, mm. right? So like that that level of organization, that level of attention to detail, that level of like, okay, it's not all right if. You know, something that should be forty-five degrees is forty-three degrees. Well, yeah, you're also focusing on more than just the the, the senses of the, the taste buds. You know, it's the total experience, right. the the visual appeal, the the, every, the layers like you're talking about. Right. So powerful. Um, one thing I think is worth bringing to the table. I know that Jeremy Fox has come out and said, "Hey, like during this time when I should have been the happiest I've ever been because I was getting all these accolades and this recognition for our, our, my hard work, I was the most miserable yeah. I've ever and, been." And it showed. And, yeah, you know, <laughs> but I think it's really important too to. Um, to, to ask yourself, I mean, is it worth it, yeah. right? To, to, we set these, we, I, feel, I feel like there's this, everyone's always trying to be the best, but the people that are at the top who, who, who are the best aren't always necessarily in a good mental state and aren't necessarily, like, maybe not, not suggesting that Jeremy had like a mental disease, but might have a mental disease, like obsessive compulsive or like whatever. It's not always necessarily a good thing to try to be like that, that, to, to achieve what some of these people have achieved because what you're, what are you sacrificing? Yeah, you I know, mean... Health and all these other stuff. 
I, I've had a lot of conversations with him uh, following that. I'm not trying to beat up on Jerry. No, Fox. not at all. I mean, honestly, and, and what I'd love to say is that, I mean, it, it is obvious that Jeremy is cooking. The food that he's cooking right now, uh, when he's opened Birdie G's and when he was at Rustic Canyon, was the food that I fell in love with back first. So I'd eaten at Ubuntu the year before, and I was like, man, there's just something about this food. That where I think that he was he was happy and the staff was happy and I think that even he would definitely say these days like you know a happy staff with a lot of you know people that are you're able to talk to that is friendly is just is just for what him and I I think both want to cook it's just the best way to do it you know there's there's the, you know there's not that we're competitive because we're competitive human beings but it's not competition cooking anymore it's not like it's it's not like trying you know we're, I think he opened up Ubuntu and, and I remember uh, hearing from the staff the original staff he was like yeah we're not going for the stars right? yeah I think the industry across the boards is really starting to develop new aiming points it's right. not about how and I think Maybe some people would disagree with me, but I feel like food has kind of hit a ceiling. It's harder to do food better than what we're doing here right now. We've, right. The, the quality of food has kind of gone to the, as, as high as it's going to be. And then what's spilling over, it's now spilling over to culture, uh, lifestyle, happiness. Uh, and all this stuff translates into good service. And, and that's what people are starting to realize. And yeah. I think that's the new target, the new I mean, I point. think, you know, and that comes with also a new set of uh, uh, types of people that we're working with. You know, it, it comes with. Uh, people that didn't come up in in a very military kind of style system. It comes with people that um, are not just wandering into the restaurant industry. There's a lot of people that aim to be in the restaurant industry uh, because that's what they love to do, and it's kind of kind of like the same same thing that I wanted. Um, but it's definitely one of those things where uh, they they have a choice to not be in the restaurant industry, and we kind of have to pull them in. Yeah. Um, whereas a lot of people that previously uh did that they didn't really they they fell into it and they were good at it and so um it's not like that anymore i got you so after the west coast uh you came back to houston and that was your first business to pop up right yeah so maybe we'll take our first break right now and we'll come back and we'll start there it's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you, you've you got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto. That's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. All right, so we're back. And I know you had the pop-up in Houston before going to Europe, but um, we'll just start with the pop-up. Why, why do a pop-up? What was going through your mind? Was it a business approach? Were you trying to be... Was like just. I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a huge surprise to me. Um, I had a friend from Houston then that uh, at the time he was working at Gordon Ramsay. He was looking to move back home to Houston. 
I did not want to move back to Houston. Why not? Uh, because <laughs> I wasn't sure, especially coming back from Ubuntu, I wasn't sure that uh, the city would be accepting of. This is 2012. This is when we get when we got back uh, was 2008. Okay. 2008. Your first restaurant was 2012. That's yeah, right, first but. restaurant was 2012. Either eight or nine. But either way, it was just you know the when you looked at Houston restaurants at the time, you can honestly you could flip through the menus, you could cover up the you know not to talk that bad about, it, but you could cover <laughs> up all the names of the different restaurants, and then you would look at the menus, and you could not tell. You which could say restaurant the same thing was, about yeah. a lot of cities in America at yeah. that time, though. This is 2007, 2008, 2000. Like during that time, this is when like the advent of like the smartphone is starting to come, and yeah. people are taking pictures and sharing what restaurants are doing all over the world so i think around this time is when the bar started getting raised and raised and raised because we we're getting perspective right yeah. uh, you can see inside the restaurants anywhere in the world um so it was a very trans- transformative time for the industry that that time and maybe houston was kind of on the, the tail end of the, the movement is what it you was were- on the tail end of it i mean you know you would look at a menu and there'd always be chicken fried something or another protein or um you know something or another protein pot pie and like you couldn't. There was not a lot of people that wanted to push it outside the box. There was actually a lot of pushback when we did the pop up. So the pop up was called the Just August Project um, because they're like, man, these these kids. You know, I was, I was a kid at the time. I, was, I think I was twenty five. Um, like, this is fun, but like, you know, like no one's gonna want to eat this. And but the response was huge. I that's that was a big thing for us. I I came. I did it to come home to. Uh, aim to go to to Europe afterwards. That was okay. just a good transition out of it for me. And then also was like, okay, well maybe I think about opening up a restaurant. I'm back when I'm back from Europe, or maybe I do a little bit more traveling. But like, I wanted to see. I wanted. It was we 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 didn't have um, any kind of constraints overall. It was a restaurant that uh, was a family friend uh, owned it. With uh, family friend of uh, we had three of us. It was myself. Uh, Seth Siegel Gardner and Terrence Gallivan. They own the Pass and Provisions. Um, and Seth's family friend owned this place called uh, Just Dinner. And so every every single August, Just Dinner would close. Uh, they would go travel because it's really, really hot in Houston. Um, and they'd come back and open up in September. And so um, they're like, hey, I know you're a chef. Like, do you want to run, run the restaurant and do whatever the heck you guys want to do for the were month they, of August? Were they profiting off of you guys being there? Did you pay them for like a rent or anything? I, like I think we paid them. I'm, I don't know the, the, the deed down of it. I, I believe we paid them rent. We, we paid the credit card fees. We paid, you know, electrical. We paid uh, all the things that, you know, especially too, we kind of beat up the kitchen. Um, <laughs> we tried our best to like clean it up as best we possibly can. Um, but it was like an interesting, interesting like thought about it. Initially, I actually said no. I was like, "There's no way. There's no way this is going to be fun. There's no way it's going to be August. I don't think anyone in Houston wants to eat a tasting menu." But you know, at the end of it, Seth was very, very convincing. He was like, "Hey, you know, it's just, it's just a shot in the dark." And I was like, "You know what? It is a shot in the dark, and it's at home." Wait, so Seth was the owner. Um, of that restaurant, he was leaving, and he was trying to sell you on getting into the space. Or was he your partner in the pop up? Him, him, and Terrence were my partners in the pop up. Okay, I got yeah. you. So, I, I personally think that pop ups and uh, like home dinners are the way to go to start your career. I mean, because today, especially with social media, you can bring the world in on what you're doing, and you can get your name out there. That's it's the cheapest way to develop your own personal brand and reputation. Is is in these pop ups? There's literally no overhead. Oh, right? yeah, the geotag is great. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's, it's the best way to also figure yourself out, right, and to, and to experiment. And 
like again, like I said, just, just getting your name out there and developing your own personal yeah, brand. So I mean, you had a chance to kind of screw up. Yeah. Uh, so what's your advice for somebody who might be thinking about starting a pop-up? Like, what did you learn the hard way? Um, you know, just, well, first of all, don't expect to make any money off of it. Honestly, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you for do. Yeah, yeah. Not even for fun. Do it to put your name out there. Yeah. Do it to, you know, put your balls out there. Do it to, like... <laughs> cook the things that everybody's told you is crazy but you've always wanted to cook and you know you know do it because it's something that you want to put out into the world but also be prepared for pushback you know there's some people that didn't like it and we we had the deal of a century it was seven courses for i think forty dollars or forty five dollars and uh you know we just wanted to do it just to make ends meet we took tips because we we served all the food um and to just like cook our little hearts out um, to do the dishes that we wanted to do that we, that had been kind of like incubating in our heads over the years. But you're making a really good point. I mean, I think when we think of assets, the first thing that comes into our mind is money. Right. Right. But there's so many assets in this world that will help us get ahead. Relationships, like you said, your reputation. Um, and you can work on those assets. Don't necessarily try to focus on the money right away. Focus on the other assets in your life that bring value to your name. Right. And it sounds like that's what you were doing. Yeah. I mean, even, even something as simple as connecting with a farmer that you'll use for years and years. Yeah. Like, I didn't know any of the producers down in Houston because I'd only been a cook down here when we did the pop-up and going to the farmer's market and talking to them and then meeting their friends of friends or the farmer the farm that's next door that's been huge for me and, yeah. and I've used uh, those products for years and years and years now. But you're smart because you, you know you're going to go over to Europe, um, you're going to continue to stage but you you now have, have imprinted on your community. People are going to recognize the name Justin Yu when you come back because of this, this pop-up that you did. You can use that in your own personal marketing when you tell your story later on when you're starting your restaurant. Like, this is, this is my story. Yeah. And I think it's really smart, too. Um, when people go to, to stage in Europe, they, they're going for the experience. But I think, again, going back to that personal brand, you're, you're telling a story. You know, this per, you know, and you're becoming interesting when you go and you take these chances and you, you get these experiences. It really helps that personal brand. Um, so let's transition to your time in this in the in Europe. Uh, were you intentional with where you were going to work? Like, how did you approach this this time overseas? Yeah, I was I was very very intentional with where I was going to work. I knew I wanted to go. So I and something that I would I would love to impress on anybody that's listening is that. Use staging Europe, places that are, are different parts of the world where you're going to stay for a month, two months, three months, hopefully. Definitely do it more than a few weeks. Um, use it as a finishing school. Don't, don't go to say that you picked herbs at Noma or, like, duck through the grass at, you know, Favakin. Do it because, like, you're, you're, you have a purpose, right? Because for me, I, would, I had been cooking... 10, 12 years before I went to go stage. And it was it was better for me because, you know, they knew, they saw immediately that I did. I wasn't, like, floundering around in the kitchen, even though everything was different. Like, there was not a lot, there was a lot of induction cooking in the first restaurant that I was at. It's a place called Indowolf. Um, and it was, like, it was very, very different. The, you know, there was no hotel pans or gastro trays, and, like, there was no quartz and pints. There's these things called condi boxes, and it's, like, Learning to, you know, grasping that is hard enough as is. So if you don't even know how to cook, then you won't learn anything. So I think it was very intentional for me to, to go to that area of the world also, mostly because they spoke English. I don't, I don't speak that many other languages. Or I speak, I kind of can converse in Cantonese. 
Um, but that's about it. So it was like, I, it was really important for me to get the most out of my time. So how did you transform in this time overseas? How long were you overseas? I was overseas for just over three months. Uh, I spent a, a month in a place called Indewolf. That's in Belgium. Uh, it, it's not there anymore. He actually moved to Ghent. Uh, uh, the chef's name is Kobe de Moreau. Uh, I own the place called uh, Chambre Separé now. Which is actually a big pop-up, oddly enough. Okay. <laughs> um, and then I spent uh, two months in Copenhagen, one month at a place called AOC. Um, the chef now is in New York, uh, Ronnie Emborg, and then um, a place called Geranium, or Geranium as they called it. Uh, that has three Michelin stars. Definitely the most intense, and not even like yelling intense, the most, most quietly intense kitchen I've so ever been in. So which experience, which person had the biggest experience or person had the biggest impact on you in this three months who who helped transform you into who you are today yeah actually that's that's pretty funny because i didn't work for that person i i I didn't i didn't stage with that person um i'm just gonna tip your mic up a little bit more well welcome everybody now with the stage yeah (laughs) um yeah i didn't even stage with that person there was a restaurant called relay that had just opened probably about six months prior to me uh ending up in copenhagen um the chef's name was christian puglisi um there's Two other uh, chefs there, Jonathan Tam and Christian Bowman, who've gone on to do really fantastic things too. And and then also there's a person there that ended up being there. Her name is Lisa. She owns a place called uh, Tiger Mom in Copenhagen now. As far as just relationships uh, go, like that was the biggest influence. But a major, major, major thing was that Relay, I sat down that first night. It was, it was the last night before they went on their winter break. I sat down. And I ate a meal, and I was like, this, like, damn it. Like, this is exactly what I want to do. But I didn't know it. They they, they built a restaurant, the exact restaurant I wanted to do, with a, a strong lack of pretension, um, you know, a, a strong detail to why things were maybe a little bit cheaper, why they were using cheaper cuts, why they were using kind of offcuts of vegetables, things that are, that you know, people find very humble and just elevating it. And that's what I wanted. And that's, I'd never realized that's what I wanted because I'd never been one of those, like, not really interested in, in cooking foie gras. I don't like using caviar. I love using things that are underappreciated uh, and making, making a point, uh, and even to this day, making a point with the flavor of them uh, in, in our kitchens. So this is the second time that you've brought up the the power of humility, right? Uh, start started with the the opening quote, and here we are again with the the this, this the impact that this humble experience had on you. So, what in your if you could define what humility is, what is humility to you? I think humility is an an, an ability to uh, be empathetic to people with people, even if you don't even if you don't agree with them, right? And I think humility to it's it's, it's an understanding. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, you're not always right. And um, I think it's, it's definitely kind of like a point of view where it's like if, if you have humility, you're, you're able to um, connect with people just a little bit. So how do we tie that humility of how to present food and how to present the total experience with um, how do you tie that into the business? How do you tie that into the food? How, yeah. do, how do you from both the food and the service? I think even in a in a finer setting, if you have humility, I think that you can feel it. It's like it's like you go into a restaurant and you're receiving a big hug, and you're you're eating a dish, and you're not quite sure where it reminds you of, or what it reminds you of, um, and it doesn't need a story, and it just feels comforting. I love it. Um, okay, so 
now you're coming back to Houston. Uh, do you have a game plan? Like, what's going through your mind when, you're, when you've got the three months under your belt in Europe, under these great restaurants? What's going through your mind for your trip back home? Yeah, I mean, back to pop-ups. I, I wanted to do pop-ups again. That's uh, where uh, I started really working with, honestly, my best friend. His name is Justin Van. He buys all the wines for all the businesses. Um, we did pop-ups again and just to kind of, like, get the ball rolling still. And again, I, you know knew we weren't going to make money off it but just to make sure that people remembered that um justin who uh with seth and terrence did just august project is is looking for a restaurant of his own um i you know i'd planned to be here just for three months to look for a restaurant space and had to be a very particular restaurant space um and uh, six months turned into sorry three three months turned into six months and then six months turned into nine months (laughs) and then i you know i was given an ultimatum like okay we got to get out of here because the city's driving us crazy if we're not going to do anything on our own. Um, and so uh, it was the last week I had a chance to, and there's uh, a friend of mine was like, hey, this little restaurant in this kind of odd part of town uh, is moving to another place. Uh, they're moving to a bigger location. Let's go. And I was like, no, that's not anywhere close to where anybody was like wanting to eat anything. And I was like, it was like it's like kind of downtown, but it's not really downtown. I've never even passed it. Uh, apparently, I had passed, and I just didn't know. Um, There's a place called Latin Bites, and, and uh, it's on Nance Street. And he was like, let's just go have lunch. I was like, okay, well, let's just go have lunch. I want to stop you right there, because um, one thing that I, I want to extract out of you is advice on living how to live your life financially in these early days when you're not making a lot of money and it's about the experiences and it's about the lessons you're learning it's about surrounding yourself with these excellent people in these excellent restaurants to help transform who you become what what were your personal finances like at this time what what was what was going on what were your liabilities i'm just kind of trying to paint that picture of what yeah i mean it wasn't easy um i was married at the time and we were living in our family's house uh you know we fortunately were not really frivolous with our money when we were making money, um, and that's kind of what allowed us to ghost dodge and then come back. Um, and then you know, I had a lot of friends that would just you know let me pick up here and there, but you know there was not a lot of extraneous money. Um, and I think what you have to think about though is the the relationships that you're building and uh, and the things that you're doing are more important than exactly. having your own apartment. <laughs> yes, and this is kind of I'm happy you're going here because the point I want to make is that go, going back to assets, right? Money isn't the only asset. Experiences, relationships, these are all assets. But in order to to get access to these assets, you need to keep your liabilities as low as possible. Absolutely. Your rent, where you're spending money. I think so often we we look at um, how how do we get money in. And we're not focused on where our money is going once we make it, right? right. So we're not slowing up those holes. We're not, we're not closing those gaps. I mean, uh, so too, but it, it creates, sometimes it creates personal issues. You know, overall, I mean, if you find the happiness in what your, what your end goal is going to be, I think you'll be really happy. Yeah. So, I mean, three months in uh, Europe, right? And then nine months back in Houston focusing on pop-ups, really not making a lot of money. Yes. Uh, it takes a lot of discipline to, to be able to stay afloat when you don't have that cash flow coming in, when you're not focusing on getting the money in, but you're focused on building your name, your reputation, and your skill set. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think you don't, you don't overshoot it. I mean, again, that, that humility, that, that ability to be humble, like, okay, well, this isn't, there's, no, there's nothing coming in uh, or there's very little coming in. Uh, and what do I have to do to scrap? And that's what I love about kind of like like kind of underdog stories. So what's your what's your advice for that person who's coming out of culinary school, who's getting out there, you know, sharpening their teeth? What's your advice to help them stay lean, to stay scrappy, and to, to be able to to stay afloat during those turbulent 
early years when you don't yeah. have that cash flow. <laughs> Especially in higher end restaurants, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that gets thrown away. Uh, and so I take, I, even to this day, I take staff meal home. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like get a pint container of the chef is like me who uh, like, don't take my pint container, like bring your own pint container and, you know, take staff meal home, reheat it on your weekend. Um, you know, like, uh, get creative, anything, yeah, get you creative, know? like enjoy yourself without having to spend a lot of money. Like it's like, it, there's, there's so many things to do in this world. Um, but also learn how to like relax a little bit because a lot of times like you're just so especially from cooking you're like so pent up about everything it's relaxing is like being able to be by yourself within yourself um without you know having to think about the food for a while and i think too that helps out a lot to in that kind of like scrappiness because it's like there's you're not so wound up overall and just reminding yourself too you're saying you know be with yourself and remind yourself that this is what you want to do yeah. and that you're doing it and that you could be doing something else. You could be, you know, a desk jockey, you know? So when things get tough and when you start getting a little resentful, stop, remind yourself, like, this is exactly what I, I want to do and I'm doing it, right? So, okay, bringing it back to the, this perfect spa- space, right? Uh, you're looking for eight, nine months to find the space. What was right about this space? What, what made this the right place? It is the size. It's, um, all the spaces I'd looked at previously were anywhere between 2,000 square feet to, you know, 4,000 square feet. I knew I didn't want anything even close to 2,000 square feet. And in, in Houston, that is nearly impossible. Why? What, what was we, the reason for not wanting this stuff? Um, I think the level of control over a small space, because also, too, I knew I wanted to do tasting menus at the time. I knew I didn't want more than 20, 30 seats. I knew that it wasn't going to be one of those things where there's going to be a line out the door for a tasting menu that's vegetable focused and like under underutilized cuts of meat. Um, so I wanted that control over like, okay, well I'm going to be cooking me and my very small staff are going to be cooking uh, very for a very set amount of people. Um, we're probably not going to make a lot of money, but, uh, we're, we're going to want to do it, you know, to kind of set us up, ourselves up for the future. Yeah. I think that's another key point as far as being scrappy and lean. I think people get in trouble trying to shoot for their dream restaurant on day one with, you know, that 150 seat restaurant on day one. It doesn't happen on day one. It's something that happens over time, scaling, building your reputation, right? And making it manageable, keeping your expenses down. Was that kind of in the back of your mind? Yeah, I mean, I, I know that the things that I did are definitely not for everybody. I think a lot of people... Like what? Like, uh, you know, like wanting to have that small restaurant where the control is really high. Some people love, like, love the thrill of the 150 restaurant immediately with, like, the fine china and the, you know, the large front of house staff. But for me, I just knew that I never wanted to do, like, cook like that. It was, it was, it was a personality thing. And I think all the, the, the restaurants that I took the most joy in uh, were the ones that were extremely, extremely personal. And, and, and Oxheart, when we opened, or Oxheart was, and to this day and will always be my most personal restaurant ever. So take us through the actual opening. You, you pull the trigger. You, the space is ours. What did you learn? Like, take us through that experience, the, the, the good, the bad, the lessons learned. Yeah, uh, it's a rough space. It's, it's in an area that's, you know, that uh, is not really known at all. Um, the thing with being lean, I was like, for me, uh, there's a lot of parts of the restaurant where I wanted to be very, very personal touches and make those very, very obvious. So things like the steak knives we had handmade with wow. somebody that was just starting to, you know, start their business. And now they have a big business. It's called Serenity Knives. They made our initial steak knives. Uh, I We kind of happened upon 
um, this this guy, his name was Kyle. He was like, oh, I just like like working with leather, and so we had these like fun leather aprons made um, that we uh, I'd taken a uh, a card, a few cards from potters and, and ceramicists a few years before at the farmers market. Uh, emailed all of them, and only one called back, and his name was Steve. Uh, he owned Three Dot Pots. So those little touch points are like, oh, these little things that make this this restaurant so personal. And honestly, we get, we lucked out a lot. Um, and and you know, uh, learning how to scour the auction circuit, learning. That I will say, if you're opening up the res- a restaurant for the first time ever, the best thing you could possibly have is either yourself or an employee that has a truck because you're going to be using it a lot especially in Houston like man that truck we called uh, his it was Justin Van's truck it was his beetled up truck with a big bird sticker on the side of it his name was Ocho may Ocho rest in peace you admit built ox art from the ground up. Oh, man, I love it. So you're really pointing out some key things. I think a lot of people, when they think of relationships in restaurants, they think of the relationship between the, the restaurant and the guest, right? But there's so many opportunities to develop relationships with other businesses in the community and to promote other businesses. And guess what? When you promote these other businesses, when you carry their knives, their plates, their aprons, or whatever it may be, they're going to promote you. They're going to talk. They're going to say, hey, like, look at my work at this restaurant. Yeah. And it becomes more communal, right? Yeah. And it, it, you, you get stronger bonds, right? Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to dissect that anymore? Or? Yeah, I mean, it's just like the, the even just like food, all the little things Compound. are going to add up to yeah. a big thing. Awesome. Um, what was the, the one thing that you did at this restaurant trying to open that caught you by surprise or one thing you would have done differently that maybe hurt the pocket or... Uh, Anything along those lines? Um, Hard I, lessons. Yeah, I mean, I worked my staff to death. Okay. I, myself, and, and the staff, we, we worked ourselves to death. What was the result? Uh, everyone, was, everyone was on burnout. I was on, I was never really been a yelling type of guy. I was frustrated and uh, Henri and probably not kind of like, like talking about Jeremy earlier, like not a great guy to be around. Um, and I, some, you know, it was reflective in the food that I was angry all the time but also that we had a lot of attention to detail. how long did it take you to, to realize that it took me a while i mean long? we were understaffed for a really long time because i would i wanted to make the point like to to the staff like oh you want to do this type of food like you got to work 80 hours a week and it's just like that's just not first of all like you're going to burn everybody out b and it's just like the food's just not going to be as good any, at some point anymore no one's really learning no one's having a good time like um it took me a good two and a half three years like halfway more than halfway into into the life of the restaurant make me realize like man i'm just like i am killing everybody and i'm angry and uh no one's no one's like no one's having a good time was it necessary early on some people say well are you in the first two years first year you got to be lean because your name's not out there yet you you gotta there's a little a lot of sacrifice in the early years before you build that reputation yeah but i think i didn't have the long play idea in my mind it was very short term at all times and if i could give uh you know any sort of uh recommendations to my younger self uh, a little bit of advice just like work for the long play like spend a little little bit more and the return will be quite a bit more like if, if I had a prep cook in the morning that was 12 bucks an hour yeah and my other cooks got four more hours of sleep like probably wouldn't have had to retrain as much as I had to. Yeah. So, so you, you, said, you said that it, uh, it took you about two years to kind of figure it out. Yeah. Um, take us to that through that turnaround and how you turned it around and maybe the when you were 
awaken and you realize that what you're doing isn't sustainable? Like, how did you figure it out and how did you turn it around? Um, I think I'd gotten my first, like, I'd, to, to this day, like, the only sous chef that Oxhart ever had, his name was Mark Clayton. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to get a sous chef, right? And I was like, it was so much more and better to, like, spread out. Uh, and given that Mark had, had worked at the restaurant on and off for uh, two or so years um, since the very beginning, uh, you know, it was like to be able to spread out that, like, your creativity to divvy up, like, okay, I should be doing this, you should be doing this, and then we're going to divvy it up between the cooks. Um, that, that was a huge turning point in my life because it's just the ability to let go. The ability to let go of every single detail, um, so that you can actually focus on the details, is was was like a really big thing. The ability to let go of the details, so you can focus on the details. Yeah. Dissect that a little bit more. Yeah. So it's like to let go, uh, let someone else uh, take care of things for you, so you could make sure that that they're doing it right. Yeah. So. What I'm hearing from you is that you were you were almost trapped working in the business yeah. because you were so lean that you couldn't work on the business, yeah. which is the the you know the, the famous way of saying work you know work on the business, not in the business. And this is what I'm hearing is that you were able to transition to maybe being more aerial and seeing the big picture and working and refining the details of the big picture. Yeah, I mean, just like at you know, at some point you get so tired you don't you know. You're in, you're in the restaurant 100 hours a week. It's like, it's just unhealthy. Yeah. And it's like, you're like, okay, well, I can't expect anybody else to stand there while the guys who clean the hood clean the hood. And I was like, <laughs> so I think it's interesting that a year after you were woken, right? Yeah. You had this experience, you realized you couldn't do this a year after 2016, mm-hmm. uh, is when you took home the 2016 James Beard Award. Yeah, it was. Is it there was a coincidence a, there? I think, yeah. I mean, do I, don't, I don't think it. it or was it that hard work of the two earlier years that got you the board? I think it it was finally realizing its potential. I think everybody was recognizing that Oxheart was finally realizing its potential, that it wasn't trying to be odd just for the sake of being odd. I think there is, when, when we realized that, we're like, man, all we really, really want to do is to cook really delicious, and delicious food with a story to it. Um, and I think Oxheart really grew up in that, you know, fourth year, um, and I think that's why the Beard Foundation kind of like they, you know, it was honestly some of the happiest times that I've been. You know, if you're happy with your restaurant, and it's just like, like I always grew up thinking like, oh, you can never be happy happy with like the total the total amount. And I think that pushes you and always drives you like always be unhappy. So they people kind of like called me like the grumpy chef, and so it's like, like. But I was fine, like happy with the things that we were doing, with the pace that we were changing dishes, um, and I think it just all came together really beautifully. Yeah. So when you were freed up to start focusing on these other details, because you got the sous chef, how did you prioritize where you were going to focus your attention? How did you know what was the most important thing? How did you start changing your business? Um, I honestly, I started spending a little bit more time on the front of house as well, and kind of the way that the, the front of house kind of uh, reacts with the guests and make sure that they know that there's a story involved. Because in tasting menus, there is a story. Um, but we, I always wanted to kind of balance the difference between uh, people coming to rest to a restaurant to be with each other and people coming to a restaurant to be with the restaurant as well. So mm. I think Oxheart really because it was. It was a casual place. It was, you know, like the we maxed out at seventy nine dollars for six courses, um, which is by no means affordable, but it's definitely, uh, a, I would say, on the cheaper end of the spectrum because we wanted to accept a lot of different types of people. People who this would be 
kind of a drop in the hat money wise for them and it's just be fun and they're like they like they like delicious food and they want to see what uh, other uh, what chefs are up to and then this to be able to have be the restaurant where people use it for special occasions and first dates or like uh, anniversaries or to propose to your girlfriend or boyfriend um, and so I think it became a broader restaurant it became a, a restaurant that was more for everybody yeah um, what's your hard stop I know you're going on stage what time's that I want to make sure that we uh, don't get you in trouble okay you have plans okay cool so you mentioned something uh, I want to dive into. I want to pull back some layers. You said you, what's really important to you is, is sharing the stories, right? Yeah. So how do you tell the story? How, take us through your process of, of using the food, using the restaurant to, to share a story. I mean, I think it's all about the people and the products. Uh, I think it's about interests of the kitchen, and, and that's why the stories change so often. Um, and it's, it's, it starts, I think it definitely starts with the chef, um, and I would not even consider myself the chef anymore. I have a chef de cuisine. Uh, Caitlin, you know, it's part of telling her story. Mm. Um, and I think it's a level of like, okay, there's, everybody has a little quirk and everybody has their little, little bit and their little bite. Um, and just making sure that, uh, everybody's hurt just a little bit. So what, what mediums do you use to deliver these stories? Or is there an approach you're using or are you just saying this is who we have this is their story like take us through that thought process yeah i think i talk about ingredients with people and what what it means to them i I think a a big thing is like okay we're starting with we always just we always start with the ingredients so it's something that's in season something that we can almost only get here in in houston or the gulf coast area and um so it doesn't start with a dish it starts with an ingredient like okay um what I like to talk about with the staff is, and I think a lot of people find this, is that like, okay, what is it about this one ingredient that you love, that, but like people don't really, really, like it's an underutilized aspect of it. So like, you know, like carrots, something as simple as something carrots. Like, unique. You know, like something that's like, what is it that people like don't get about carrots? It's like, it's like that high anise flavor. And we have a grower here that like, has it grows these uh, atomic red carrots that are just like a very high anise flavor, and you're like, so you start with the anise flavor and then you move from there, or like you know. So, so once you've sorry, did I cut you short? No, no. So once you've um, identified all these ingredients and the the uniqueness, the unique selling propositions behind all these these ingredients, how do you present that story to your, your yeah? And then people, it's at the, that the then for me at least then you're like okay if. If we, we we've identified what we want to say about the ingredients, what does the dish need to say overall? So like a, like the way uh, we we create dishes now is like okay, well like what do we want the guests to feel when they eat this? So uh, a couple of years ago, one of my favorite dishes we ever do is a, a steamed fish dish. It was winter time, so it was, um, citrus season was going on, and there's Meyer lemons. So I was like, I want this fish dish to make you feel like you're eating chicken noodle soup yeah and so there's like a smoked fumet there's like a pistou with like um uh with with some really nice spinach but it was like the crunchy vegetables plus the overcooked vegetables were really important to me so like you know adding the vegetables at the certain time is very important to me um so again that slight detail work in in the overall it doesn't matter if, if like everybody gets it but like there's a feeling that you get from you're like yeah. I think it's really important to point out that the the, the way the human mind works, uh, we are hardwired to retain stories. Yeah. And 
that's how we are hardwired to learn. Yeah. So if you can if you can find a way to tell a story behind your dish and tell the story of the people behind the, the, the ingredients in the dish, it's going to become sticky. People are going to remember it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pull up the strings of the heart, right? And when you, if you can achieve that, if you can share the story, if you can make it personal, if you can uh, make it human, right, then you, you will become more memorable. Yeah, that's the best way. It's amazing to me that we have a dish, a singular dish, that can affect so many different people in different ways. I'm saying like, oh, like, were you thinking about like Indian ingredients or like Indian cuisine when you when, when we were making this dish? Because it really reminds me of this. Or like, oh, this really reminds me of like my Italian grandmother's stew. <laughs> it's the same dish, and like, <laughs> and they're like, no, nah, it's just like you know, like like there we started the setting ingredients. We just wanted 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 a feeling as opposed to like a specific dish. So to, to break that down, the, the the what I what I took from you was look at not the the whole plate but the the parts of the plate the the ingredients and look for unique selling propositions that are tied to each one of those ingredients and then try to find a way to sew them all together yeah. um is the, the takeaway i got i mean yes absolutely and 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 definitely i think very underappreciated uh is texture texture is just one of those things that man if you can nail it for somebody in the contrasting textures or the non-contact, like specifically supposed to be non-contrasting textures, um, it, it definitely kind of kind of hit pulls at those heartstrings. It definitely reminds people of different things. We haven't even start, started talking about Theodore Rex or any of the other restaurants you've uh, <laughs> opened. And I want, I definitely want to spend some time there. I'm really interested in the story behind Theodore Rex because 2016 you win Best Chef Southwest, um, right? Southwest, Southwest, yeah, yeah, yeah. and. Um, Normally, people, you know, that's they're they're looking to get these accolades so they can, you know, rejuvenate their business and, and you know get more people coming to their business. I mean, when you won, you decided to close that business, yeah, that, and <laughs> open another one. What was your thought process? I'm really curious to get into um, your mind what you were a thinking. A couple of things, man. I uh, restaurants have a timeline. Restaurants have a life, and and Oxhearts was coming to an end. Uh, it wasn't. We were still doing well financially, but. Man, if I think about it right now, I think that like we would be doing half of like what I think we should be doing, and that really affects the people that you love, the people that I love. Like you know, like my maitre D that's been with me for seven years, like wouldn't be making the type of money that she needs to be making. And you know, but a major thing is so either I thought two things could happen: either we make it finer, uh, we put a little bit of money into the business, uh, probably take away seats, raise the prices. Or you just reconcept, um, and I really thought about it, and I just don't, I don't affiliate, and I don't love eating tasting menus anymore. Um, and I bet years from now I'll, I will again. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, it doesn't reach to me anymore. Yeah. Like I got to do what, what yeah. resonates with you because yeah. what else are you here for? I mean, you, you got to show up every day, right? Yeah. I mean, if you if you don't do that, two people are going to be able to taste it, mm-hmm. right? And and. Honestly, the dishes that I loved the most that ended up on, on the Oxford tasting menus were the ones that honestly probably are going to make it onto the Theodore Rex menu. Yeah. Um, because they're like the, like the way I wanted to cook is different. Like, you know, again, talking back about with Jeremy, it was like his food at Birdie G's, uh, which is in LA, he just opened, is yeah. like dramatically different from Ubuntu. Yeah. I think there's something really important or, or worth pointing out that the power of ending on a good note, too. When oh, you yeah. close something on a good note, on a high note, it takes a 
pair of balls. You know what I mean? And I think people look at that with a little bit. It's like audacity. Like, oh, wow. Like, you know, things are good. Yeah. And, like, you're staying fresh. You're switching it up. And I think that that says a lot about your character, your, you know, the, uh, the the confidence that you have. And it's all part of that brand, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, you it, have it to communicate subtle things, right? Um, and you chose to do this right after winning the James Beard Award. There's usually no shortage of interested investors after picking up those awards. Yeah. So now you have all this, you know, access to all these, these, this opportunity, right? Why not strike while the iron's hard? Well, right? and then, too, uh, Oxart was a successful business, or is a successful, was a su- successful business, so I didn't have to take on any extra debt. People, right? I'm also thinking too, like if you have all this media, all this press, yeah. now's the time to, you, to to ride that wave and use that wave to promote your new business. Absolutely. These are some of the thoughts that were just, I, was, I thought it was really clever. Yeah, I mean, you know. I don't know if it was intentional, if I'm I, making I, you look good right now or what. <laughs> it wasn't intentional for sure. Like, it was like, it was great for me. I was like, well, man, we're not struggling for money. We have the ability to do it. Let's let's do it. Let's not be pushed to do it. Let's yeah, do plus, it for, because we want to do and it. And we got to reemphasize it's what felt right to you. It was what would make you happy. Yeah. And if we're not happy with what we're doing, why are we doing it, right? So, more emphasis there. Um, okay, so Theodore Rex, another great success. Take us through what made this successful. Um, what did you learn with the second opening that helped? Um, I, I think it, it all started with the first the first restaurant. It was like, man, it was like I loved the restaurant more when I allowed other people to do uh, work that they wanted to do and to like uh, let go just a little bit. I got we got to go deeper into that. <laughs> Say it again. I um I want to. Say it verbatim or paraphrase that one more time. Um, you know, the the Theodore Rex, I think, is successful because I, I allow people who are really good at their jobs do their job instead of trying to do That's it That's magic them. right there. What <laughs> happens when you get out of the way and you, you let the people you've surrounded yourself with uh, do what they do best? What yeah. happens? Take us through that magic. It, you get to, you, you know, A, you have a lot more fun. You have a lot more ability to be creative because you're not, you know, like inundated with, you know, something as simple as pays you know paying bills or um uh, little things like that or managing personalities because they're probably better at managing personalities than you um and what i think that is is it it makes it a finer restaurant i think uh, a restaurant that pays more attention to the overall products uh, like how how does it get there is it going to be easier for us to take this one component off a dish and make everybody's life a million times better when you're the chef and you're in the grind every single day and you don't allow people to do their jobs you don't see that because you're too busy um so i think it's just uh one of those things that you you have to take a step back really uh to really take a step forward and theodore rex was that i i I hired a chef to cuisine for the first time i knew we were going to do other businesses um and you know it would be pressure on them and and Fortunately for me, everybody that you know works there has really, really stepped up to bat. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that we are packed animals. Like we, we are our natural habitat, our natural surroundings is, is in groups of people, and we are all different, and we all have strengths and weaknesses. And we're at our best when we're in the pack, and everybody's strengths are being brought to the surface and, and letting them lean into their strengths. So if you get out of the way and you let the natural order take over, and you let these people that you've surrounded yourself with uh, shine. Um, I think the, the best of ourselves come out. We, we become a, a, a healthy ecosystem because we're all doing what we do best, right? And we can lean. And the other thing to think about, too, is every mind in your restaurant, every, every brain in the skull of your employees, that's a, that's a mind, that's a, a source of energy. And in, when you restrict that energy by forcing people into molds and like not letting them get creative, then you're, 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 not, you're, you're cutting yourself short. You're, you're not giving yourself the opportunity to tap into that potential energy all those those minds that you have so they get out of the way right yeah. let that let that flourish yeah. let that grow yeah i mean and then too i saw the direction that 
the restaurant uh, restaurants were going to and, and Oxheart was it. Um, Theodore X is definitely one of those places that I would probably want to go eat. Yeah, week on a weekly basis, and Oxheart wasn't that either. Okay, awesome. So, um, one other thing I, I want to talk about today, and this is kind of like the evolution of your career. It seems like now you're uh, you're doing a lot of partnerships. You're you've you've risen to the top. You know, your cream rises to the top. You've risen to the top, and you're looking at, at other professionals who have also risen to the top. And instead of looking at these people and saying, "Hey, like I want to try to beat you," you're saying, "Hey, I want to join you." I want to, you know, you're 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 a rock star bartender, you know, with yeah. Bobby, right? Yeah. Um, I, that's not my strong point. Like, why why would I compete with that? Why not partner with that? Yeah. Like, take us through your thought process and these partnerships you're forming today. You're forming today with the different restaurants you're opening with, like, um, forgive me, uh, better luck tomorrow, public service wine and whiskey, yeah. and um, so um, public services was a, a, the second place that we opened right after um, uh, Oxart. Um, it's it was honestly it's just a place that like we opened for Justin Van um, for kind of like it, he has such a great personality for himself again like, going back to like man we need to just get out of the way and just let him do his thing public services was that um, Bobby Hugel and I are kind of like my main partner we now own three businesses get together how long have you guys been in business together um, the first the first time we were in business together was Better Luck Tomorrow, so just over two years. Uh, okay. Better Luck Tomorrow is two, maybe two and a half years old. Originally, Bobby and Justin wanted to record together. I was like, I need to get the backstories. <laughs> uh, I want to get Bobby on the show. I want to get his story too. I think uh, be we great. have a pretty interesting backstory. So when I was a cook, <laughs> when I was a cook in Houston, um, he helped open up this place called Beavers, and he had a blog called Drink Dogma. And I was like, I was just always interested in anything food and drink, but I didn't drink. Um, but so I was like. Uh, I was on this this forum called Eagle, and they're like, "Hey, yeah, there's this guy that has a, a cocktail blog, uh, and it's pretty cool." And so I started reading the cocktail blog, and I was like, "A is a really good writer," um, and B I was like, "Well, I don't drink, but like all this stuff like sounds really interesting." So I made it a point to go to Beavers one night uh, with my family, and I was like, I walked up to the bar, like, "Hey, uh, which one of you has the blog?" And he was, <laughs> Bobby was there. He was like, well, what do you want to drink? I was like, I don't really drink. He was like, uh, are you afraid of like raw egg whites? And I was like, nope, not at all. I cook. He was like, perfect. So he made me a Pisco Sour as kind of that first drink. And I, I was, my mind was blown. I was like, there's like Pisco here. And I don't even know what that is, but there's a story behind it. And then there's like this really fun texture with the Pisco Sour with the shaken egg whites. And so Bobby's story goes along the lines that I was his first regular, so like nice. I, so I was very, I not was very lucky. <laughs> From not drinking, it, I, I joke that he turned me. I'm not an alcoholic, but I, I, I joke that uh, you know he's he's the one who start made me start drinking, and he would, he'll always tell you the uh, the other way around. So I feel like people are, are are intimidated by other talent when they encounter other talent. They kind of say, "Oh, this guy is gonna, I'm I'm going against take this guy. my spot." Yeah. yeah, no, I mean I think that's Fortunately for me, him and I have the type of relationship where we're invested in each other. I think when he wanted to open up Anvil, which is honestly the best best cocktail bar in the South, um, we were he approached uh, my dad and I, uh, and we put a little bit of money. It wasn't that much, but we you know we put a little bit of money to help uh, help Anvil open. And when Oxheart was opening, he was like, "I don't have very much because we're opening up this other restaurant, but I'll do what we can." And we've always had that type of relationship where we're friends, but like. You know, it's like we're always like, like really, really happy to see what the other one is doing. And so it got to the point where I was, you know, I'd gotten one of James Beard, which was like a huge career accomplishment for me. Um, 
and you know he was uh, coming out of a partnership and he was like we both like liked doing the things that we were doing but we'd always kind of just show up at each other's places Anvil is my favorite my favorite cocktail bar uh, in Houston and just talk and just talk and, and it got to the point where like let's, let's see if like this is something that we want to do we like we, I remember sitting down with him uh, over breakfast. He's like, why do we want to do this? Why? What's the point? Like, you know, what's the partnership for? And I was like, for me, mm-hmm. I think both of us have the same goal. Like, we want to make the food and beverage industry overall, but especially in Houston, better. You know, yes. and, and we have different ways of doing it. And I love that you, you're you getting to the, the, the power of sitting down and really getting clarity on the why, the, the, the vision, the mission, and, and knowing the purpose. And when, when you're on the same page and it's our, when you, when you, when you create that together, it becomes ours, right? And you can pull in the same direction. Yeah. Uh, what, what else do you have, any other advice as far as how to manage a good partnership? Uh, don't be afraid to disagree with each other, but just make sure you do it healthily. How do you do that healthily? I think that you have to, like, there's a lot of times where people argue. You're arguing and you don't listen to the other person. You have to listen to the other person. You have to try to put them, yourself in their shoes uh, in that way. So, like, again, the, a major argument always for everybody is, like, the discrepancy in pay between the front of the house and the back of the house. Right, that's that's never that's never going to stop. But I'll say that we we'll, we try our best to make sure that we are above market rate, and the way I, you know, I'm convinced the way that we do that is by selling more selling more cocktails. And if the kitchen can contribute the fact to make the cocktails more special, that we have like all these fun garnishes at Better Luck Tomorrow because the kitchen contributes to it. Yeah, um, and and that's why we can sell that's a kinda, twelve dollar cocktail. Kind of <laughs> reminds me of um, what is it out in Chicago, the bar uh, area. A- Avery, Avery, the Avery, Avery, yeah. Avery, yeah. Their approach to the bar is like a very kitchen approach, yeah. and I think it's kind of absurd to have that bartender that's doing everything by themselves. Like, why not make it a team effort? Yeah. That's where you're making your money. Right. Why not put more energy into yeah. that? Right. Um, so we're gonna start thinking about transitioning to the speed round. But I, I, is there anything we haven't discussed yet that you were hoping we would discuss, or anything that's near and dear to your heart? This is your time to freestyle. This is your time to to share something that's that's important to you, close to your heart, or just something you think my listeners need to know. Yeah, I mean, I think as a chef it's been interesting to to grow into a role of a restaurateur and i think the the biggest thing i learned from that is to make sure that you're taking care of yourself right and i think i can't stress that enough and something as simple as taking the extra 15 minutes to go take a job that you know that order does not have to be placed in in that 15 minutes and to really talk to your staff and to really man it's just like don't always go out and drink at night like maybe just just chill out for a night Uh, and i think to become a better chef, become a better business owner. If the self care isn't happening, the way that you're treating people is gonna is gonna suffer, and, and it's gonna it's gonna be, you know, the best thing you can do is to do the best thing for yourself, so you can do the best thing for your employees. Yes, I love it. And you mentioned um, you take the 15 minutes to go for a jog or yeah. whatever. What other things are you doing? What does your routine look like? What does your self care look like? Um, you know, I wake up, so I wake up, I get to wake up earlier now, and so I, you know, I. I knock out a whole bunch of emails at seven thirty in the morning. Go back to sleep. Get enough sleep. Um, I'll you know I I pre prep a meal. I take thirty minutes to pre prep a meal at home once a week so that I have something to eat in the mornings every single morning. Uh, not for everybody, but <laughs> I I go I do spin and I like I like I like cycle classes because it's not a group setting even though it is a group setting. You know, but you don't really have to pay attention to anybody except the instructor. Um, and uh, it's it's 45 minutes. It's set. It's just for you. It's just honestly, it's just for you. You can try as hard or as little as or as not hard as you want. Um, and that's why I like it. But 
for me, I just want people to you know find that thing for you. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be. I love it. So, Restaurant Unstoppable's mission is to transform the industry, and the way we're going to transform the industry is by showing people how the most successful people in the industry have transformed. So, how have you transformed since the the man you were in? Uh, 2012, opening your first restaurant. Uh, to the man you are today, almost uh, seven years later, how have you transformed? Um, you know, I'm just as hard on myself, but not in the same way. Uh, you know, always, always push yourself to do more, but don't push yourself to be someone that you're not. Awesome. I love it. One more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to bust out a quick speed round. Cake makes it easy. Thousands of restaurant operators are using Cake POS and loving it. With its easy, simple to use, and intuitive interface, how could you not? Cake users are achieving peak satisfaction with 24-7 customer support, not to mention lifetime access to Cake University. No wonder customer satisfaction scores are so high. Everything about Cake is simple, including its POS integration with Cake Guest Manager and Google Reservations, which basically allows your guests to book reservations reservations or get on wait lists straight from Google search or Google maps. That's pretty rad. This simple integration alone has increased guest count by as much as 25%. To learn more about how cake makes it easy, head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, you can save $750 off activation for cake point of sale. But you have to use my links again. That's trycake.com slash unstoppable. Did you know the National Restaurant Association states that losses due to fraud at a restaurant run around 4% of sales? That's like an annual marketing budget. Workplace harassment, discrimination, misconduct, theft, and fraud can all have devastating impact on a restaurant's profitability, public image, and result in legal liability. But how do you respond to and mitigate risk if an incident goes unreported internally before it becomes public? Ethics Suite provides a line of communication between you and your staff, allowing you to stay informed and respond to incidents rapidly and privately. With Ethics Suite, your employees can easily report or suspicious activity or potentially unethical behavior from any device anywhere and employees can also submit reports completely anonymously if they so choose. Safeguarding your business starts by listening to your employees. It's that simple. Find out why Ethics Suite is the leading anonymous reporting system for any restaurant in the industry. Head over to ethicsuite.com slash restaurant unstoppable. We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? A sense of calm. Sense of calm. I love it. What is your biggest weakness? Uh, probably also a sense of calm. <laughs> Sometimes you stay too calm where you really need to uh, get, urgent. <laughs> get it ramped up. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process when you're trying to build your team? Uh, what food do you love? What 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 is it that uh, that makes you go? What are you looking for? I just want someone who will give me an honest answer and not uh, just start spouting off restaurants that are famous. Awesome. Uh, what is your biggest challenge to date? Staffing. Staffing. Always staffing. How are you dealing with that? Uh, you make the people that you have better, um, and then you uh, honestly go outside uh, of what you're comfortable with um, because. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in in kitchens that were like mostly filled with dorky cooks. 
not the entire kitchen does not need to be filled with door yeah. key cooks. There's some simple truths in life, like attracts life. Like so, if you're constantly you know building up your team and you're making your team better, your people better, giving them skills, culture, they're going to attract onto themselves. Your team's going to attract onto the the next wave of employees. Right? You're going to use your team, use your, your restaurants to. Right. I mean, diversity is not just good in a city. Diversity is great everywhere. I love it. Um, what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? This is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. The kitchen rule number one, and they'll laugh if they ever hear this. Kitchen rule number one is don't trust anybody, especially the chef. <laughs> All right. What, what, what does that communicate? I'm curious. That it communicates is like look out for yourself um, and to make sure that all, all, those little, all those little details are well taken care of by oh, yourself. I love it. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is something that's common within your four walls, but not, that's not common within the industry. Um, little things like, you know, like just the things that you don't, that, that you touch are not just yours. It's just like uh, everything, everything, take ownership over everything. What's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. All right. What's Classic. the biggest lesson from that book? The uh, biggest lesson from that book uh, is your employees are an extension of you and to make sure that you treat your employees that you, like you would treat yourself. I love it. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls that's having a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? Slack. Ooh, how are you using Slack? What's uh, the, the, it's the best way to really kind of um, uh, organize the conversations because there's a lot of conversations that go on and being able to organize the conversations is... is uh, be able to search them out and see also who's seen it. Yeah, and it's free to start. <laughs> it's free. So it's even if it's just between you and your partners and your managers, just to get it going, like um, it's a great tool. Uh, okay, so this is the last question. It's a doozy. Actually, I'm lying. I skipped one by accident. I have one more question for you. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Offer healthcare. Ooh, I love it. And uh, if you got the news, this is the last question. This is the doozy. Get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom you know to be true about your success, about everything. Three things you could leave behind for the, the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of, of wisdom be? Always have a sense of humor. One. Um, treat your employees like your family. Two. But also don't treat your employees exactly like your family. Is that two or is that that's, three? That's all, that's three. I, I love it. I love it. This has been great. This is a really awesome uh, conversation. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who is one uh, restaurateur, chef operator, somebody you know uh, that would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? That's how I found you. Yeah. Uh, James Mark in Providence, Rhode Island. He owns uh, Big King uh, and uh, North and North Baker. Right. James, Mark, I wish you were on my radar two weeks before, two weeks ago before I drove to Texas. Uh, I was in New Hampshire, <laughs> but uh, I would love to get you on the show if you're listening to this. Uh, you're always welcome. And let the folks at home know uh, how can we connect with you uh, if we want to maybe join your team or yeah, have some questions. Well, and uh, all Theodore T Rex Houston is my website. Any uh, email on that website from PR to info goes directly to me. Uh, Instagram is a fantastic way. I have both a personal one that's Tetsu Justin T E T S U J U S T I N, uh, and um, my uh, um, professional one, which is T Rex Houston T R E X Houston uh, at Instagram. I, I always check it. 
Awesome. And uh, I'll have a, the, the summary of today's discussion all in the show notes. Links uh, to books, services, anything that was recommended in the show notes. Head over to Restaurant Unstoppable and uh, just search for Justin Yu. You'll find everything right there. Justin, thanks again for taking the time to sit with me, to share your story, your knowledge, and your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Appreciate it. Cheers. All right, there's another one in the archive here at Restaurant Unstoppable. And just to let you know, the next four interviews all were recorded at the TRA Marketplace. And I just want to say uh, thank you to the folks over at the Texas Restaurant Association for uh, letting me record these interviews and supporting the mission here at Restaurant Unstoppable. And a reminder for you guys to please follow me on Instagram. It's Eric Cacciatore, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Please sign up for my email list. And if you do, I will send you over 32 pages of qualified recommended vendors for every category you can think of. Uh, This is a list of every product and tool that's ever been recommended on the show, along with who's recommended them. So if you guys are opening a restaurant and you want a list of the the POS systems, the labor management tools, and anything you can think of, head to that list. I got you covered. Uh, The most trusted list of recommendations in the industry. And just again, guys, thank you so much. Uh, Can't do it without you. Until next time, peace out.